In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. Today we're going to be whisper mumble, whisper mumble, whisper, whisper mumble, mumble. <laughs> with Kate, with uh, Caitlin Rogers. So, Caitlin, is Dune a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? Hi, Sam. Of course Hi, it should be done. Definitely. How, I was talking with someone earlier today. How many different theatrical versions of Dune have there been? There have been two and a half. (laughs) So there's the one we watched, which is the 1987 uh, version. There's the one that's coming out, the miniseries. The The uh, 1984. 1984, excuse me. Yes. The Denis Villanueva version, I'm probably butchering his name. That's that's the miniseries that's just supposed to be coming out at the end of this year. What other versions are there? Well, um... By the TV show, is that what you're referring to? Because the TV show was like made in 2000, so they had. Oh no, that's something completely different. I didn't even know about that. Okay, so cool story. My first introduction to Dune was the TV show, and I thought it was phenomenal. Everything about it, it was like a. Th- I think it was a three parter. Everything about it was fascinating. I had like a hundred million questions throughout it. I was so curious. It was amazingly well written. Uh, the acting was definitely par, but for, <laughs> for what was what happened with the movie in the eighties, this was phenomenal. Like everything about the TV show, I just dove into the book immediately after I watched it, and I couldn't get enough. I'm like, who are these people? What powers do they have? Oh my god, this is so cool! And they like slowly revealed things throughout the series because it was so they had so many hours to cover it that mm-hmm. I just I couldn't get enough. So I read the book. And I kept reading. I read his kids' books, which was a mistake. Uh, But but with that, and then I saw a couple images of the movie that we watched. And then I decided, I don't know if this is for me, especially because (laughs) I just heard the name Sting. And I'm like, ah, oh, no. It's going to be bad. So here's the thing about that. There are a lot of things I didn't know about this movie until I kind of saw, like, the credits. There are things I learned in the big opening credits, and there's things I learned in the end credits. The fact that uh, Fade Routha was played by Sting, I did not learn until the end credits. I'm not surprised. He was in it for, what, a minute? He wasn't in it for... I mean, Fade Routha's not in the book for very long either. Uh, but, like, it, it's one of those things where, like, I'm not super familiar with Sting's face, so I, it's like, oh, yeah, no, that's Sting. Oh, why? <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. And with that, I will say that the half that I was talking about was the Jodorowsky's Dune that was supposed to happen, but never did because the budget was too extreme and the director was just absolutely nuts. But he wanted, so- he wanted Mick Jagger as Fade Rotha. So, Why? Yeah, no, it gets even weirder. This man had the craziest ideas. He wanted um, Salvador Dali as the emperor. And he, and Salvador Dali said he's $100,000 an hour. It was it was insane. But this, this man, Jodorowsky, put together a storyboard that was just, was so phenomenal artistically that everybody in the film industry used it, including uh, the first 
I think the the first Alien movie was really? everything from that storyboard, and then Star Wars like scenes are directly pulled from their storyboard. All this stuff was pulled from it because it was such and like this epic, complete like piece that that Jodorowsky had done. So a bunch of people I mean, stole his cool. ideas and took it and went with it, but. I'm grateful kind of that he never had it done. It was too out of this. I mean, if it was going to be Mick Jagger and Salvador Dali. Yeah. Oh, and the music was Pink Floyd. So (laughs) actually no, that tracks. I mean, the music in this one was Toto. I know. And I was going to, I was going to totally start singing. I bless the rains down in Arrakis. (laughs) Oh man. That would have been so perfect. That's uh, (laughs) that's our outline. Oh, there's a couple moments like every time they've stood on the back of a worm we just got this incredible power cord oh my god like, rock ballads everywhere oh man it's 80s now so it's basically sting is fade rautha the the music is toto and then paul muadib is the mayor of portland <laughs> yes, yes. And, and then and then freaking like Patrick Stewart is in here too. It's I know this movie's insane. He was so underutilized too. He's the he only was, person that can act. Yeah, well, y- yes, he, he's the only one in this movie who does act. Yes, correct. I'll say uh, that. So I I have read. I should say I have listened to the books. Okay. Um, I first listened to Dune in 2010. Actually, I can tell you exactly when it was because we were. Uh, driving back from Colorado to Arizona and dad got the audiobook of Dune for us to listen to in the car ride back because it's a 16 hour car ride car drive and so we listened to that and I did not love it so I like I didn't and then five years ago or something I found that audiobook and I was like let me give this another chance and I re-listened to it and I s- still didn't love it um the the, the problem is is not like I know dune is has such a huge fan base and the people who love dune love dune and that's fine it's just this world is just so hyper aggressive and i just don't find that interesting as much but again i wanted to give it a further chance and i know that this this series has a lot of fans so i listened to the second book and i hated that (laughs) (laughs) i don't blame you i don't blame you for like the 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 critiques I have on the Dune book, you're a hundred percent correct. My whole thing was the fascination with the uh, different like species, I guess you could say, or elements or interesting powers that they've created. It to me, it felt very Star Trek. Yeah, and I'm it, obsessed with Star Trek. So. It does feel very Star Trek for me. Like I, the th- here's the thing: there's a lot of fascinating, super interesting things here. But like when they start delving into like extra sci-fi stuff, like what you get to the very end of the book, and oh crap, what's his little sister's name? Aaliyah. Thank you. When Aaliyah uh, says, "I planted this message in the future for you because I know only you'll be able to see this future." I don't care about that. That makes no sense to me. I'm out. <laughs> but, but what I find interesting is like they've heightened their sensory abilities and they're so good at reading people in situations that they can predict the future. That's very, um, have you ever read foundation? I have not. So there's a, there's a trilogy of books uh, written by Isaac Asimov called the foundation trilogy. And the basic premise is that there's this guy who's kind of able to read 
group dynamics and like kind of the herd mentality of humanity in order to predict the future. And I find that really interesting because like the individual is random. You can't predict the individual, but the group is predictable. And that's what I find really interesting. And that's what I find interesting foundation. That's what I, that's the aspects of Dune that I find really, really interesting here. And then of course, like kind of the way the world has been warped by the single individual element of spice on the planet. And the fact that spice artificially enhances people's ability to do this, but if, but the chosen one will be able to kind of do it on his own, I find super interesting. And that's kind of the the element of it that I really like exploring. Mm-hmm. Or Duncan Idaho can get shot in the head and we bring him back in the sequel. Cause we can, we can fix death now. Apparently. Yep. That's the sequel. Don't, don't at me. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get in our, into our critiques. I would yeah. say I would say for the book, how you were saying it's very aggressive, I will agree. I don't like how male dominated it is. It's I think insane male dominated. Extremely uninteresting. Um and then obviously the only females, even though they have power, are subservient. So like Lady Jessica is literally uh Duke Leto's concubine. Uh, yeah. Duke Leto goes, I probably should have married you instead of holding out for some sort of political alliance. And it's like, uh, and that's the thing that unfortunately, like as much as I would love to change that, I like that's, that's source material stuff that I don't think we can. And it, and I, but, or should we, I don't know. Too bad. Too bad. I am. I'm going to do it. Okay, great. They're married. It's way better. (laughs) <laughs> like they got married like because it's it's this whole like secret society of incredibly powerful women who wouldn't like that's the that's the political marriage like you think that's going to be a political marriage and then it turns out they actually fall in love that's a way better story mm-hmm. totally it's not well you needed a concubine while you were waiting for a political marriage she'll do wow she's neat yikes <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. poor Poor Chani. Yeah, yeah. I like she has she's totally, no presence in this movie. She she should have just got not have been in it. I mean, there are and so many characters they introduced. There's so many Duncan Idaho. Like, why? He's only like he passes in the hall. <laughs> I I mean, the thing is, like, each one of the people they introduce are like he is being trained in these. Di- like, it is three or four different people who are masters of the thing they do. Then that is making. Paul, a master of all four of them because he has these incredible teachers. I get it. But yes, it's a lot of people. I like, I didn't even recast Duncan Idaho. Um, but like, I want to talk about Chani because in the books, she's my favorite character. Yeah. And this, mo- so <laughs> it's kind of becoming a theme in Ideal Remake to talk about how incredibly screwed over Sean Young is just in general. Because she keeps being in these movies where she's having to do these really degrading or minimal roles. And she's so good and she's such a talented actress. We need more roles for Sean Young is what I'm saying. Oh. Well, if, if she's even still alive. I think she's she still is. alive. She's still alive. Definitely. And more like, respect what? for Sean yeah. Young, I say. Sean Young, yes. I was also going to say um, this book needs more humor. It definitely. Well, you've come to the right place. Uh, that needs a big push in that direction. The whole wow. entire book is so serious that I it's just missing. It's just missing in the book. There's a few like Gurney Halleck is 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 almost there because he sings all the time in the book. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of light 
hearted at times. So uh, I mean, but there's I just something, want, there's I want something there to, to be so much more humor. Uh, there and this is the comedy guy saying this, there is something to be said for a more dramatic take at science fiction and action movies. Because with like, I mean, the Marvel movies are so quippy and everything that's trying to emulate the Marvel movies and Star Wars at this point is also super duper quippy. And I get that that really rubs people the wrong way and people who aren't into that, that's probably why they gravitate to this series is because it's like, yeah, space is serious drama. And I get that, but also the people that you enjoy hanging out with, even if they're serious people, every single human being is going to have something in their life that they're going to make a crazy random joke about. Well, the more tragic everything is, the the more you need. Gallo's humor is a real thing, and these are humans, they would be employing it. Weird vagina-mouthed humans. <laughs> also, how can you be that serious wearing a trash bag? <laughs> it's, like, the design on the still suits is so bad. And everything is bad. The, like every the whole... Outfit- the whole purpose of the still suit is to trap and contain all water and moisture. Cool. We can see their faces, heads, and they can breathe out of their mouths without anything. That's where you lose uh, most of the moisture, right? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, also, it's like none of these outfits are practical, comfortable, and extremely unbelievable for the atmosphere that they live in. Yeah. They're all bad. First of all, you don't wear black in a desert. Nope. So we're dancing around something that uh, I feel like we need to point out. Um, so when we agreed to talk about this movie, uh, I, I, I was excited because I've been, I, this is a movie that had been on my list to watch for a while. So the thing we're dancing around is, so I wasn't until I finally sat down to watch this movie. I pulled it up. I'm sitting down to watch and I see directed by David Lynch. <sighs> Here's the thing. I do not care for David Lynch. What and has I, he done? I mean, so much. But it's all like Twin Peaks and music shorts, like music video shorts. So one of the things that I've been doing during quarantine is I've been in a movie club that meets every uh, every Saturday. And we, we watch a movie during the week and then meet on Saturday to talk about it. And a couple weeks ago, the movie we were supposed to be watching for homework was Mulholland Drive, which is probably David Lynch's most famous movie. I made it 18 minutes and then I had to turn it off. It, he has, it's his style of direction is simply not for me it's so disconcerting and it's it's just you're constantly just like uneasy and that's very much the case with this movie as well just the style of narrative for the fact for the first thing the pacing of this was so slow and tedious it was a long movie but if they'd like sped it along a little bit we might have actually had a chance to explain some of the crazy things that were going on and the way these people have these, like, every single character, every single one had weird voiceover so we could hear their thoughts. And that's not necessary. Oh, totally it's weird. Not. And it's incredibly jarring every time it happened. And honestly, if I didn't have to finish the movie in order to record this episode, I might not have done it. And again, I know there are people who love this movie. And I'm sorry that I'm just not one of them. That's why we're remaking it. Woo. Well, I mean, sometimes I remake movies that I do love. We're remaking it because 
they're they are in the process of remaking it. The miniseries is coming out, so we're talking about like let's do it as a movie. But yeah, I don't know. When did the fir- when was the first time you saw this movie in particular? It was way later. I think I only made it up until I remember. All I remembered about it was literally the the doctor exploding pustules on Harkonnen's face. Barrett. No, no, no. When, when was the first time you saw this movie? Uh, I'm going to say maybe four years ago. Okay. Maybe yeah. I saw, I saw the other one in 2000. So your knowledge, came out. your knowledge of Dune is, is definitely better than mine. Are there other versions of Dune? And again, I've read the books too that are as gross as this one. No. Because I would describe this as a gross movie. Oh no. No, no, no. The the TV, the like the mini I I call it a mini mini series or a, a small mini series. It was like three parter and it was yeah, on it's TV. A mi- it's a mini series. It. It's just it's I looked it up. It's self-described as a mini series. Okay. Well there's first you go. episode it's first episode aired on December third, two thousand, and the last episode aired on December sixth, two thousand. That's a mini series. Okay, great. We'll do that. It was great. <laughs> It was it was mostly focusing on exploring the world of Paul Atreides. Like that's it's basically what it did. And I think that's better. The the book makes allusions to the greater universe, but I don't think we need to start meeting the Emperor, having this conversation with the uh, with the intergalactic navigators. Which, when I was reading the book, it says that they're suspended in a in a in a spice mist fine the book does not say they're weird penis shaped vagina mouth monsters oh right yeah mm-hmm. you're correct and, and then the the books talk about the baron being like overwhelmingly fat which is why he has these like hover things to kind of like handle all of his weight i don't remember them talking about talking about him being covered in like pustules they briefly mention how he likes his boys with imperfections, but they don't go anywhere close to the descriptions and the the details that you see in the movie. There's no way. And it never has to be... Like, I hate when they make the evil villain look so evil villainy that I just... It's so distracting. It's not I realistic. Agree. It's not... It's unbelievable, and they don't have any dimension to them. What, what's the point? It's, it's like you look at them and you go, yep, that's the bad guy. And it's like, okay. That's not interesting. No. I, it, here's the thing. Like, to cast, like, the concept of Fade Rautha as, so the most interesting, some of the most interesting things about this is that Paul is the chosen one, but he's the chosen one because the sisters, what's the name of their group? Benny Jesuits. Thank you. The Bene Jesuits have been basically selectively breeding these people aiming towards getting a Paul for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And they know they're very, very close. And to have Paul, who it turns out by a miracle is this chosen one, going up against someone who is an almost chosen one is really interesting. It's like a, it's, it's like if, it's like if Neville Longbottom had been the true villain of Harry Potter because it's the chosen one versus the almost chosen one. That would have been an incredibly interesting dynamic. And that's what I feel like 
they're going for here. Like, I feel like we need to give a lot more to Fade Routher. Like, Fade Routher should have a lot... He shouldn't just be evil and sadistic for the sake of being evil and sadistic. Because the Mm -hmm. thing is that this entire world is super hyper-aggressive. The fact Mm -hmm. that Leto is kind is an abnormality. The, uh, The first guy that they meet on Arrakis is surprised that the Duke cares more about the people than he does about the spice production. Yeah. Which is wild. It... Doesn't that kind of feel like it's reflecting today a little bit? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. That's why I mean, it's how interesting. appropriate it would be to remake it now, which they are. So yeah, they and I, I think they will do a. I mean, they're also looking for their next Game of Thrones, and that's what they think this is. This was supposed to be the next Star Wars, but it's not. So now it's going to be the next Game of Thrones, which it's going to try to be. That's what's happening with these series. Mm-hmm. That that's what Dune is. It's this great epic of science fiction that hasn't ever been perfected so they're going to keep trying i agree they could also, they could also do foundation but whatever so what do we do what like, do we do what, yeah so what let, let's talk for a second about what do you think are the most important pieces of the book like even ignoring this interpretation of the movie because for the most part we just think this is a bad adaptation of the book what are the most yeah. important pieces that need to be in our movie i think we need to see the growth of Paul from the beginning into what he becomes at the end and how people around him shape him more effectively. I agree with that. I like yes. arc. in terms of in terms of character arc, yes, I agree. And I think he needs to not just become a dictator. I think that the I think if we were breaking into act 1, act 2 and act 3, I feel like act 1 is Paul learning a kind of about the greater world. I feel like we start with them leaving their original planet and going towards Arrakis. And I think, but I feel like act one needs to end with the assassination of Duke Leto. I feel like we spend basically no time on the first planet, get to this other one where we kind of do the training and learning about stuff. I also, I know that Mapes is an important character in the books, but I would replace Mapes in our movie with Chani. Okay. Yeah. Because we need to introduce her a lot earlier because she needs to be like, we have Gurney Halleck, Dr. Yue, Duncan Idaho, all these people who are kind of teaching Paul about the, the proper European way of doing things. And I feel like Stilgar and Chani need to be there the instant he lands on Arrakis to immediately start training him about, what it's like to be on Arrakis. Because if he's supposed to be the chosen savior sent from the stars, which is a very uh, dances with wolves way of dealing with this, I we need the, he needs to learn about the wolves. He needs to learn and, about these and native also people. to create a rapport with these people because it just goes from him not knowing them. And then all of a sudden him being there like Jesus. So yeah. they need, he needs to like, it needs yeah, to be I earned. totally 100% agree. I think that's a great idea. And I also think that that this book needs to be split up into at least two movies, if not three. Well, we can't do that just based on the natures of this podcast. Okay. Well, we need I'll we do need that. a singular movie. Okay. But singular movie. I have an answer for this for me, but are there any moments so let's pull from like the act 1 first part of the book. Are there any moments in the book or even in the movie that you feel like are essential in our remake? I have an answer uh, if you want a moment to think. Besides Paul's arc into becoming what he is, uh, I think 
all the characters that have like all these interesting backgrounds, I feel like they need to be brought more to the front. Uh, like who? Uh, like Gurney Halleck. He is so fascinating and interesting and comes with a background of being a fighter. I think that needs to be addressed. I think these need to be treated. I agree. I think they need to be treated as real people. And I think that they need to be set up as people that we think we're going to be spending the entire movie with. That way it's even more tragic when they die or get turned or something else happens. Yeah. Like one of the things that this movie did that really annoyed me is they tell us right away that Dr. Yue is the spy. And I feel like they're depriving us of an amazing opportunity to, to find out. I mean, there's this moment where Dr. Yue is like looking at a corpse and he's like, well, here's the secret message for me. And it's like, cool, great. You're the spy. Okay. Cause if we haven't read the books, we don't care about like the Imperial conditioning. It's not important. Mm-hmm. But like, if we're treating all of these people as like these confidants and these people who are friend are friends and we're just trying to figure it out. And then all of a sudden one of them turns on us. That's way more compelling. I and- 100% agree with you. They, they tell you in just the first monologue to start the movie from the fade in, fade out, fade in, fade out. They tell you what was supposed to be revealed throughout the story. Yeah. Slowly. It's like they know that they didn't take time to establish things. So they're front porching a lot. Um, but so here's something that I think is in the books and they don't have it in the movie because it's hard to do, but I think it's really good. There's a moment where Stilgar first shows up in the, the palace or whatever, and he goes up to Duke Leto and he spits on the ground in front of him. And all of a sudden everyone goes to their weapons and, and everything's up in arms. Mm-hmm. But I remember there's a moment where I think it's Gurney Halleck says, hold on, wait, think about this. The most important thing on this planet is moisture and water. And he just gave you some of his. This is a gesture that means something completely different where we come from than it does here. And I feel like it's one of those things that just establishes that these two groups are so different. And it teaches us that, okay, we're going to have to start thinking differently too. And that's a moment in the books that I think is incredibly powerful because it's basically like, no matter what you think, you're wrong. Stuff's about to happen. And I feel like that's kind of where we start. And that's something that Paul sees too. And Paul goes, oh, water, it's so important. I get it. Now it's starting to, and I just think that moment is important. I agree. I totally agree. They missed so many of the important aspects of, I don't know, character development throughout the movie. And then they added things that just, why? Like the water drips and the hand and the, there's so many moments they spent on that made absolutely no sense. Well, they kept saying the sleeper has to be awakened. Do you know that line from the book? The sleeper has awakened. Well, we need to keep saying the sleeper must awaken. That's not the best line in the book. (laughs) It's not. It's it's a big catharsis where he's like suddenly realizing that he's come into his own and I get it and I get why it's like a big famous thing, but like, but yeah, so I think we need to spend more time getting to know these people. Like one of the things we do, like when we move into this palace is like, we have to keep checking for booby traps. Well, we found a bunch of booby traps. Those booby traps were too easy to find, but they were really hard to find. Yeah, but too easy to hard to find. 
I don't think that's necessary. I the idea of like the the needle coming out and trying to kill Paul and then using that to save Mapes or in our case Chani, I think that's interesting because it gives us insight into Paul that he's more capable than we might suspect him of being. But mm-hmm. we kind of already saw that with the with the hand in the box thing, the uh, the ga- the trial of the Ganja Bar. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we need to prove him again, and I think that's precious time that we could be spending with the people we're supposed to care about. Yeah. So I I I started that paragraph on the side of keeping that, but I think at the end of that paragraph, I'm like, now nah, we can get rid of it because they don't need to do all of that because they already have Doctor Yue about to betray them. So why do they need to do all these other things? These people think they're safe, but they're about to get assaulted from all sides because those shields are going to get knocked down. I don't think we need any of that. I agree. Was there anything in the movie that you felt was redeeming at some point? Ah, look, there's a lot of things in this movie that just simply aren't for me. The tone, the pacing, the, the character things, there's a lot of different stuff that I'm just not about. You know what? I liked the worms. I thought the worms were very well designed, and I thought that they, especially for a movie came, that came out when it what when it did, I thought the worms were incredibly intimidating and well done. You disagree? Uh, you know, <laughs> like if you think about like aliens, doesn't come that far after this, and the creatures in Star Wars, they were so much better. I I think they could have just. I don't think they were awful. Don't get me wrong. But it also made me think of just Beetlejuice. Yeah. Beetlejuice is a great movie. It is a great movie. There's the... So there's that moment where the first uh, spice rigger, the thing that's the spice miner, gets destroyed by a worm. In this movie, the worm comes up and then crunches down and explodes the spice thing. In the books... What happens is the worm comes up under it. You see the the, the 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 front mandible things of the worm come up around it and then close and disappear, implying that the worm is so much bigger. That would have been really cool because it's also an intimidating moment, especially if they're trying to get away in planes. Like as walls are literally rising up around them, they mm-hmm. need to get in their copter and get out of there. That, I thought, would have also been super-duper interesting. But, you know, they didn't do that either because it's a movie. We need explosions. But we've seen explosions. What's terrifying sometimes is no explosion. You know what I want to say is how did you feel about their uh, their shields? They're, like, personal oh, shields. Oh, man, the super – like, it's not CGI. It's like they got painted on afterwards. It was so bad. Those, those were embarrassing. Oh, so bad. When did Tron come out? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. <laughs> doesn't matter. But yeah, it doesn't those were, matter. Those were but bad. like they could have even like done one of those like pantomime things and I would have been that would have been better off. Like how I'm would you trying. design the shields? How how would you like design something that we need to be able to see cuz they need to be able to turn it on and off? How how would you design the shields? I mean, honestly, at that point in technology, I would have been fine if they just pretended there was something there that they couldn't get past. Yeah, yeah. How would you do it now? Like, for our version, how would you do uh, personal shoes? Uh, oh, man. The first thing I'm thinking of is the awful Star Wars movie where Jar Jar Binks is in it. And they have, like, these shields that, like, electrify and then they protect themselves. Remember that? I don't know. That was an awful movie. but Oh, like the ones around the droids? Yeah. They roll out and they kind of get formed into a blue like it, bubble. It just kind of looks like a bubble, but it's not super obvious. 
All right. That's a good idea. But, you know, I'm not a CG designer, so <laughs> I have more to say about costumes than okay. anything else. Then let me ask you this. How would you design the still suits? So much better than what they had going yeah, on. Yeah, tell, tell us. Tell, tell us. Like, people understand now that we well, did not like this version. You would want to How would you do it well? Blend in with your background. That's 100% sure. So you would definitely want it the color of sand. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, it would cover everything, obviously. So between those two things, and then it, it's got to be skin tight because obviously that's got to hold in your moisture. I mean, the new the new ones for the 2020 movie that's coming out in December, um, they're okay. They're obviously not the color I want, but it's it's something to look at if if you want a <laughs> an overall design. But I would. I would make it look, it just has to look more utilitarian, like interesting utilitarian. What would you do like a combination of? Because there's there's a famous drawing, I think it's on one of the covers of the books, where it's basically like a, a Lawrence of Arabia style, but then like with a gas mask thing on the front. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that style of it before. And I like those because I think that that kind of works where it's like reflecting the sun and also you can clearly see the thing that's capturing the moisture. Yeah, and I don't well, know how else honestly, to do it. Honestly, I would probably combine the cultures that only live in desert. I would look up images of that, mm-hmm. and then I would take a science fiction perspective on that, which is why I have a lot to say about who I'd want to design this movie for costumes. Okay, I don't well, know if that's an aspect you've ever done in the past, but it's if it if you're a guest on this podcast, it is an aspect we will do. Awesome, and. Uh, but for now, let's just talk about like story elements. So I think we kind of like, that's our act one. And so then, so act one is kind of like learning about all these people and kind of establishing who these people are. And then the world falls down around Paul and he has to escape into the desert. Yes. Act two, I feel like it needs to be learning, discovering who he really is in the desert. And I feel like act two does need to end with the sleeper has awakened just because that's such a component of of dune that's like that's the line Mm -hmm. and it's like paul coming in truly coming into himself as as this chosen one figure i agree i also think that they that should kind of cover him starting to teach his ways to the fremen yes i agree and then once they're once that training is climaxing maybe then it would lead into act three well, then we have something else going on. Then we start realizing like that the Baron and all these other people are still around and discovering stuff. I will say that if we were doing a multi-part trilogy or a multi-part series or doing this as two movies, the first movie would have to end with The Sleeper Has Awakened. Just because okay. that's the moment. Like, that's the thing. But like, I think that's our act two because really act three is Paul reclaiming, the, like Paul getting his vengeance and... Uh, being like, stuff's going to change now. And it's basically using everything he's learned from the two societies. First, he learns the, the, the aristocratic, way, aristocratic way of doing things. Then he learns the, um, the Arrakis way of doing things. And then he puts both of those into effect in Act 3, which ends with the, this big culminating battle at the end between the Chosen One and the Almost Chosen One. Because something I would be running along the kind of like base 
bottom, like kind of a B storyline is Fade Ralpha in act one needs to be learning these same things, but in like a twisted dark way in from his advisors. And then in act two, once the Baron and the, uh, the, the Harkonnens take back over Arrakis, he like Fade Routha needs to be like seeing the way they're doing things on Arrakis and then kind of ignoring that. Okay. And so finally, then at the end, when they finally meet up, then all of a sudden you have them both having this same base, but then it's what's been learned on Arrakis being used by the what's been ignored on Arrakis. I like that. Yeah, totally. And that, that way that final battle has meaning. Oh, for sure. Because, and, and then it's so intense in the book. That fight is so intense. Yeah. But in the movie, I'm like, meh. <laughs> in the movie, it feels like it happens because it happens in the book. In the book, it happens because, like, this is the way the society is. Like, we are still people of honor, and this, th- this battle between our families is going to keep going forever unless we end it now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And also, they're just angry at each other. For, at the end of the day, they're what, 12? They're, they're supposed to be 15. Yeah, well, Mayor of Portland was older than 15. I, everybody was, that's played that is like 28 or 26. It's like, what? I, I cast someone much younger. I cast someone early 20s to play younger. Okay. I, but, I, I threw a big curveball on, on this movie. A huge curveball. Which might piss off like diehard Dune fans. But well, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> all right. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. What I else? almost think that like whatever ideas you have are going to be phenomenal in one direction. And then my ideas are going to be so crazy in the other direction. We're going to have an interesting time trying to merge together into this. All right. I'm excited now. Uh, let's then. So before we get to that, let's talk about act two. So what are moments of Paul and Lady Jessica in the desert that are important for you from the book or from the movie that need to be kept? Like what are the, what is the Paul in the desert thing that we need? Okay. One amazing element in the book that felt so much more climatic than in the movie. And they put it at a place that I thought was just too jolting and too fast was his realization of the water pools underground. Oh yeah. They threw that away. They totally threw that away. And it was like one of these amazing just just realization moments. And I just, I don't understand why he threw it in the way he did it, like, immediately in the movie. I'm like, you lost what that meant. And the there's also the moment it. where, there's a moment where someone dies and they, they their water gets added to the, to the water, to uh-huh. the tribe's water. And that's, an, I completely forgot about that. Excellent oh, and then, and then in the book, there's, like, baby sandworms in a pool. Yeah, because that's where and they get, get the that's where they get the the super juice water of life. Yes, that's what it's called, right? Super juice water of life. That's exactly yeah. It's it's yes. what plants crave. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, because like it's the 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 people, the the desert, and the worms are all intricately tied together, and it's this amazing thing. And like that's that's how Lady Jessica and Paul become the the superhuman ones. Mm-hmm. They have to, and then like we don't talk about that at all. Like a baby worm. Oh, we needed that absolutely. Yeah. the The moment for me that is in the movie, but I don't think they give it enough credence, is Paul figuring out that they have to do irregular steps. Mm-hmm. 
because they talk about how the worm is drawn to the, the thumper. thumper because it's it's regular sound. Mm-hmm. But for them, the way they escape the worm is by moving in irregularly. Yeah, yeah, n- non rhythmically, and just talking about that, and then me thinking about it and going, "I don't know how to do that." That sounds really hard. Yeah, that is the moment where, like, I think the entire movie could be sped up, but that's a movie where I would slow down and say, "We need to watch this guy process how they are going to not get eaten by a giant worm right now." I agree. Definitely. And I think I think the one thing that we could have lost is their crying session. Oh yeah, no, we don't need that. That was that was unnecessary. Yeah, it was unnecessary. All Lady Jessica did was cry. All any woman in this movie did was cry or uh make a baby. <laughs> and it's not good. It's so bad for women. I agree. Uh. <laughs> I'm not um, surprised. That, I mean, at least we didn't watch him make a sandwich. I was pretty close. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and again, book, poor Chani. I felt like, yeah, I felt like Chani or Chaney, whatever you want to say. I felt Chaney. like she had a better, a better role in the book. At least I felt like she had, she was like overthrew Paul in the book. If I remember right, when they first met and he was like blown away. Yeah. Doesn't she like beat him? She, she, at some point, like, disarms him or something. I don't, I don't remember exactly. Yeah, because Paul fights with, like, the aristocratic way of fighting, and then Chani just, like, immediately kicks his ass. Mm -hmm. And that's way more interesting. Whereas in the movie that we watched, it's, hey, I saw you in my dreams. Bone down time. (laughs) There's no time in the middle. They didn't even shake hands. It was just. No. Well, they shook something. Uh, The important (laughs) thing is, and it just, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, poor Sean Young. Yeah, she was completely. Because she's useless. the best character. And then, uh, yeah. can't have that. Not in our movie for boys. I, yeah. Mm. Makes me not, mad. Not okay. So that's act two. So then act three, are there any moments when like Paul's coming into his own as this chosen one, kind of taking over and like recapturing and basically conquering the known universe? In, at the end of this first book that are really important to you for uh, for Dune, for our movie? I think writing the sandworms is very important. I that agree. That was like a highlight of the book when he conquered that. Man, it's weird because in the book I remember he had to marry some broad. So he had, he had to marry the princess. Yeah, so. Yeah. I, or, I don't like, like that. Yeah, so I mean, it was... Like, he has to marry the emperor's daughter, and then Chaney was going to be his concubine. Like, I will marry the princess, but she will know that I never love her. And, like, I really love Chaney, and that's, and she will know that, but I'm not going to be married to Chaney. Because, like, it was, you, you needed the political marriage. But, and, like, that's why the princess is doing all this narration in the book, because she's like, I mean, this guy is rejecting me, and I'm the princess, but I have to know everything about it. And this is what I'm choosing to do with my life instead. And it's, it's weird and it doesn't make sense. I also think Aaliyah, I know she's not a great character. Um, they do a better job in the, the movie, ser- the miniseries. Um, but she is fascinating because she knows everything and she's a child. She, she's the narrator. Uh, I thought that was Princess Irulan. Oh, wait, who are you talking about? 
I'm talking oh, about the little yeah, sister. sister. Yes, yes, yes. Yep, sister. Yes. Sister. So, yeah. She's I also a super she, interesting character. Uh, yes, the the sister. Uh, oh. I think she should be. I think she needs a few moments because she. They explain in the books, and I'm sorry if I can't remember when they end it with Aaliyah in the first book and start in the second book, but she can't play with children because she's so secluded and her mom doesn't understand her and she doesn't understand anybody and she's she's that this is isolated a, human. That and is I the think, second books. That is I, that, oh, that I remember. It, it is? Okay, because yeah, I remember her killing Barrett in the first book. Yeah. Uh, I remember. I specifically remember her saying, "Have a taste of my ganja bar," gotcha. and all I could think of was, "Where did she get that?" that that's yeah. that's. Uh, I can't think of the name of the the group of women again. Benny Benny Jesuits. Thank you. That's the Benny Jesuit thing. Everything from modern society does not have to come from Arrakis. Spice the, and like even the thing that were to become the sacred mother. It's this is the Arrakis version of that. It is not the same thing. It's not, oh, well, turns out they were getting this from Arrakis too. It's like, no, they weren't. Mm-hmm. It's just different societies and groups have come up, have found similar tools and tricks. And so when she says, have a taste of my going to bar, it's like, no, that's not what that is. It's just like, hey, have this Arrakis weapon. Arrakian. Arrakis? Arrakon. I don't know. I dig it. Yeah. But like the, when the, when the Reverend mother like looks down at Alani, there's so many names and I can't, I'm so bad with them. Uh, and, okay. and she's like, you have to kill that little girl immediately. She's a monster and must be stopped because she knows immediately what that is. What, what, what she is that I think is important mm-hmm. because we're like, Oh my God. All right, cool. And like the idea that like she was like pregnant and the daughter, be- like yeah, I agree. I think that character is really interesting, but she's barely in the movie. Correct. Yeah. I don't know. I-, I feel like the way to explain Aaliyah would have been easier is just Paul because he starts to know everything. He just goes, "I'm going to tell you about your daughter, and this is what she's going to become." I think Isn't that, that what they do like- in the book. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because I agree with you. But they they spend they spend a couple pages i feel like on her experience of drinking the life and almost dying and then hearing her child speak through in her belly to yeah. the mom and that I remember was intense in the book they talk about how she's like a soft light and she's slowly fading and then she finds this other light and she's like oh no i have to succeed because my daughter is going to die if i die and so yeah. she goes to this other light and they 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 warm each other together and they that's how she gets through it uh, and then she uh, absorbs the, the planet's other reverend mother, and uh, I don't know, and all the many, mothers before many. her. And, and she just... she she becomes the the avatar mother with all of her <laughs> thousands of past lives. <laughs> and av- a- reverend reverend mother. I'm so happy uh, you said that. <laughs> Re- I need reverend an Ma- Reverend, reverend mother in this movie. Reverend mother Roku comes yes. in to get rides it, riding on a dragon to give advice. Yes, I, I mean Appa. Appa in this movie is a sandworm, and Momo in this movie is a baby sandworm. I love it. It's not good. Oh no, Momo in this movie was like Duke Leto had a pug that he just wandered oh, around oh. with. Oh god, the dogs! And the then dogs and then it. and then at the end of this movie, the pug is fine, and I'm like, no, I'm sorry, no. There's no way a dog could survive that. 
that not environment. Not a chance. No, it's of messed all up. dogs to a pug. I'm nope, just not going to happen. Oh, here, here's another thing. I, I wish they had in the movie a Chris knife. It was a tooth of the sandworm. Yeah, a and that sandworm was so tooth. Special. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Uh, the Chris knife in general is, I think, such an amazing tool and such a, like when Paul earns his Chris knife mm-hmm. as like, okay. Or uh, the person who dies gives it to him or something. I know. Or, I know Lady Jessica got one from shout out. Maybe. Yeah. And correct. then I don't know how Paul got his. I don't recall. I think he earned it when he rode the sandworm. I believe it. I, he deserves it's, it. It's the, it, it's the, it's like you reach adulthood when you do this thing and, and earn your knife. And I think and that's then, what it was. And then those things don't, they'll disintegrate if they're not against your body. I thought that was brilliant. That, that part of mm-hmm. the Dune book, that the tooth decays if you don't keep it against your actual body. Yeah. Just so fascinating. So it's wild. like what you were saying before about how everything depends on this cycle and everything's interconnected on Arrakis, another element they could have used. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, let's, uh, I think we kind of have an idea. Like we haven't rewritten this movie because this movie is incredibly difficult to rewrite. And I'm genuinely curious to see what they do in the miniseries. It's going to be out at the end of the year, maybe. So let's talk about who we want to cast. Like let's actually get into our casting and talk about who will fill this world. Sounds great. And I feel like the place to start with is Paul Muadib. I mean, that's a perfect way to start. For sure. So, I mean, he sets the tone for everything, right? Yeah. So you said that yours was weird. So I'm happy to start with mine. Gotcha. The person I have for Paul is an actor named uh, Jason Ganau or Jason Genoa. Uh, he is a fairly new actor, but he's fairly young. He's in The Get Down. He's in Logan. He is on the rise, which is, I feel like, the sort of character you want to be in this. Because the, the person they have playing Paul in the new miniseries coming out is Timothée Ch- uh, Chalamet. Mm-hmm. And that makes me so nervous because he, he looks just like the 1984 mayor of Portland. And I'm like, that's not, oh, we don't need that. So, well, if you haven't noticed in the 1984 movie version, uh, everyone's white. Yes. So Jason uh, And they Ganau, live in the desert. Yeah. No. The, I, I, there's, the, there's a way of thinking where it's like you cast all the aristocrats as white people and then like you cast all of the uh, people from Arrakis as people of color. And I, I didn't do that. I did a much broader mix of like – it mixes it up. Um, yeah. I like your choice. Jason, for example, is, uh, he is Dominican. Okay, sweet. Which I dig it. That he, he does a bunch of stuff or has done some things. And like I said, he's on the rise. He's currently age 23 because I don't want to cast an actual 17 year old. Yeah, that's true. Tell me about your Paul Muadib who completely changes everything. All right. It's actually ironic because you just mentioned Logan. I want Daphne Keene. I want it to be a girl. You okay? You okay with that, Sam? I'm okay with that. I love Daphne Keene. Um, <laughs> I've, I've cast her a bunch of different times in this. Uh, the The idea of gender swapping uh, Paul definitely occurred to me 
part of the reason why I did not want to do that is because I kind of wanted to take uh, someone who's coming from a word uh, a, 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 a patriarchal society mm-hmm. and put them in a, a meritocracy or a, like a a, a, a matri- like a maybe even a matriarchy because it's being run by this uh, other reverend mother and like this oh well this is the way things are done not here it ain't is more interesting to me but also it's perfectly reasonable to have a, a female chosen one. I got nothing against that. But does that mean that you, how many people did you gender swap? Uh, three, three people, Paul and who else? Cheney makes sense. And still Hmm. Okay. i like Daphne keen. Let's come back to this. Let's, okay. let's do those three and see where we are. And then we'll come back and we'll, and we'll kind of figure out how we want our world to look. Great. Awesome. So then let's let's talk about Cheney. Who did you have as your uh, male Cheney? Amir Wilson. So the reason I picked him is him and Daphne are in dark materials and they already have a relationship on screen. And he is also uh, a lead in the letter for the king, which I just started watching last night. He seems to be pretty good. And they're both they both had to be close in age. And I don't know why today I don't feel like there's a lot of stars that are younger I had a hard time finding, like, you know, remember when we had, like, Leonardo DiCaprio and, I don't know. The thing is that Leonardo DiCaprio wasn't young for very long. That Like, that's the problem. Like, there are these people who, like, even the Stranger Things kids aren't kids anymore. Correct. But we, it's, like, in my recollection of famous kids, like, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know kids anymore. Like, yeah. I only know everyone's 30, which explains... I, and I've talked My about this age. before on the podcast <laughs> about how like going and Googling child actors always makes me feel super creepy. Oh yeah, definitely. But yeah, so like he's a good you, choice. I, I like his dark materials. I went with Lana Condor. Uh, she's Jubilee in X-Men. She's an Alita battle angel. She's the lead into all the boys I've loved before. She's like, so she has kind of like the combat experience or like the, the kind of sci-fi experience. Awesome. And also, she can be fun. Like, because the thing about Cheney is that Cheney is supposed to be supremely confident because she's like, "All right, rich boy, I know what you're, you're what you're playing at, and that shit's not going to fly with me." And that's what I love about it. And anyone who can play Jubilee should be able to pull that off. I think. I feel like you're correct. You got to yeah. be a badass. Uh, and then Stilgar, I went with Winston Duke. Winston is Duke he? is uh, he's in Black Panther. He's in Get Out. Or I'm sorry, not get out. Uh, us. Oh, I should know this if he's in Black Panther. You should. He's the uh, the the other king of the. Oh, the monkey right, 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 right. Totally for sure. Oh, this is so weird. Great minds think alike. My Stilgar is uh, Danae Guerrera. Tell me about Danae Guerrera. She's in Black Panther. She's the leader of <laughs> the the Warrior Girls. Oh. She is so ripped and so awesome. And such a badass of Black Panther. And she's also in Walking Dead. I mean, she's she is very, very good. And like I like <laughs> I love that we're picking the same movies and the same actors. This is great. This means we're going down a route that we're both gonna agree with for sure. I mean the thing is that like aside from the gender swap, like in terms of tone and casting, we're pretty much on the money. Yeah, and honestly, I picked I picked younger people, so I could see did. why going your route might be a little bit better in terms of 
like I went more toward the book, which doesn't really translate great to screen. Yeah, but, it's, there's, a, there's a reason why we don't actually cast Romeo and Juliet as 14-year-olds. Or, I'm sorry, yeah. a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old. Yeah. But I was so stuck on Daphne. I've seen her, I mean, not only in Logan, but what she did in Dark Materials. And she is just, I don't understand how she has that that acting ability with, like, only being 15. It's it's unbelievable. But She's very again, good, and it's great. Yeah, and that's why I've used her a bunch of times because she's amazing. Like I can't, we can't go wrong with this. This is gonna be yeah. Great. I've cast uh, Dene Guerrera in in other things as well, just because she's amazing. Yes. Um, so that those three, I think, work no matter which one we end up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I hundred percent agree with you on. So then, let's talk about Lady Jessica. Yeah, she's pretty important. I agree, and I think what that means think? that we need. I think we needed someone who was supremely confident, but also very caring and loving. Someone who mm-hmm. has done a wide range of things and has never gotten the respect she deserves and should be in more stuff. Okay. And so I went, with Amy, I went with Amy Smart. Great choice. Uh, she's in the new series Stargirl on DC Universe. She's in the Butterfly Effect. She's in Road Trip. I first saw her in Scrubs and she's just like everything she's ever in. She's fantastic. The only downside is that she's not in enough things. So that's why I went with Amy Smart. Tell me who you had. I had Gal Gadot. Interesting. Tell me about why Gal Gadot. Uh, Wonder Woman. I'm obsessed with her in Wonder Woman. And she's so beautiful (laughs) and stunning. And she can fight. And everything about her screams regalness to me. So I figured that she might be a great candidate for Lady Jessica. I actually think Gal Gadot is a better choice for Stilgar, but I would probably still go with Dene Guerrera like mm-hmm. for that. I think the interesting thing about Lady Jessica is that Lady Jessica is incredibly formidable, but she's not a warrior. Mm-hmm. Like she can like she knows like self-defense and can quickly defend herself and like with the uh, the Chris knife if she needs to. But she is someone who uses her words and that's what I find much more interesting about her is that Lady Jessica we meet because she's kind of for stupid misogyny. She's the perfect mom. But honestly, I think what makes her character interesting is that she's the training in the art of diplomacy. She's mm-hmm. the master of diplomacy. And whether or not she can use this voice and like be supremely convincing means that she never has to fight because she has the power of the voice. And that's why I would probably lean more towards Amy Smart over Gal Gadot. Okay. Yeah, sure. Definitely. So that is, so I also didn't cast everybody because there's so many. And so there's going to be, there's going to be people that you have that I don't have. And for when we get to those, you're right. You get them. Oh no, Uh, no, totally. You might have an opinion after we start talking about it. Maybe, but my basic rule is that like, instead of like, well, now that you've mentioned that someone else, I, I try to let, give you the benefit of the doubt. And if it's something I don't have, I trust you. Uh, so Duke Leto. Mm-hmm. For Duke uh, Duke Leto, I went first for Lady Jessica. So who did you have for Duke Leto Atreides? I had Pedro Pascal. I mean, I fully loaded this cast. I, it's so impractical, but... I mean, here's the thing. He, so is, it, he has to be so wise. But just, also be good at fighting and everything else, right? Yeah. yeah. So here's the thing. So for me, so the person they cast in the new remake coming up is Oscar Isaac, who is perfect. Mm-hmm. So for me... 
I wanted to go with someone who kind of is that and would also be a good father to uh, Jason Ganao Janao. Yeah. So I also went with Pedro Pascal. Ah! Because <laughs> he's perfect. Can, at least we can agree with that. Yeah. It's, <laughs> sure. I mean, Pedro, like, casting the Mandalorian as the Duke, because you're like, it's, you do the same thing that they did in Game of Thrones where you cast, uh, who's his face, to be... Uh, Oberon? Forgetting, no. He was Oberon in Game of Thrones. The person they cast in season one who was the dad. Uh, oh, oh. Oh, Eddard Stark. Stark. Yeah. yeah. So the guy they cast is Eddard Stark, because people who aren't familiar with the books is like, oh, yeah, it's this famous actor. He's going to be in this whole... Si- oh, he's dead? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of similar thing here. Like, casting the Mandalorian, you think, oh, man, this guy's going to be around the whole show. And then when he's killed, it means something. So yeah. I think Pedro Pascal's a good choice. Yay, Sam! And I think it's great that we did that. That's I awesome. I love it. Uh, the next person I have is Gurney Halleck. Because okay. I think Gurney Halleck is important, and I agree with yes. you. And I also agree that he needs to bring a little bit of humor into this. Totally. And because it had been Patrick Stewart, I thought it was important to have another nerd icon playing this. Because this is just one of those properties where we need nerd icons for this sort of thing. So I went with Carl Urban. Awesome. I love because it. Carl Urban has been in Ragnarok. He was in The Boys. He was, he's was he been in this and that. And he's been in so many nerdy properties. And he always kind of has this wry sense of humor while also being kind of a tough, badass guy. And Gurney Halleck is that. Like, he can do that. And oh, so that's why sure. I thought he'd be No, fun. that Honestly, that's, that's a perfect choice, especially with what he's been working on lately with Boys and stuff. Or The Boys. Uh, what is it called, right? The Boys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you were right. Who did you have? I had Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Yeah, you would. No. <laughs> well, because he's like singing and he says stupid, funny, stupid, silly things in the middle of battle. I just was like, I feel like the dumb, idiotic singing reminded me of Deadpool. Like, but I would be a lot more likely to make Ryan Reynolds the Baron than I would to make him Gurney Halleck. I like that. <laughs> or like, like, like tw- 15... 20 years ago he would have been a perfect fade rautha he would have been a perfect yeah fade rautha i agree but i think unfortunately the the uh the ryan reynolds that we have right now too much it's too much i i generally try to avoid casting a-listers just because i don't like seeing a-listers in movies because i'm like yeah that's tom hanks you go tom hanks like even if i recognize people like a-listers sometimes they're like it's that person so that's why let's go with carl urban i like that definitely then I don't have a Duncan Idaho. Do you have a Duncan Idaho? I do. Uh, Donnie Yen. Ooh. Yeah, that's perfect. I he love that. He is a great fighter. I would watch him in anything. And I mean, he's that's it, his man. role in the book. So Yeah, Duncan Idaho is the fighter and like the best fighter. That's why they bring him back from the dead because he's so good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Donnie Yen is a great choice. Good. I'm glad you think that. Let's talk about Dr. Yue. Yeah. I, Dr. Think, I think you're going to come up with a better one than I did. I'm, All right. Who do you have? Tom Hiddleston. If you go with Tom Hiddleston, we're expecting betrayal. Yeah. It just, that's the first thing I thought of when I was reading the book. I'm like, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I just thought I, of him. Yeah. It, th- there's nothing wrong with that. I went with someone who, so for Dr. Yue, I, I want someone who, like, again, for someone who's never read the books, never seen these movies, I want it to be someone you never expect to betray you. No suspicions. They kind of just have this, yeah, well, that's life, I guess, kind of sense of humor. 
Because mm-hmm. I think Dr. Yue should also be funny. That way it hurts more when he he turns on them. Because and obviously it's, he's it's not expected. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like obviously he's doing it because like he's just trying to be reunited with his wife and in the end he is. And like but he's some like someone who's this kind of has this, well, what are you gonna do? Kind of hang dog attitude, but is genuinely brilliant. That's why it's all the more impressive that he was teaching Paul because he's genuinely brilliant and should be. So I went with an actor named Himesh Patel, who is the lead in the movie Yesterday. But I'm specifically casting him because of the role he plays on the TV show Avenue 5. We kind of plays this hangdog stand-up who's stuck on this spaceship going out of control and he is out of material. And they only have a couple episodes with him. But he's so funny and so compelling. And I just want him to be my friend. And then it's like, <laughs> that's, that's the guy that turns on you. Yeah. That's it. That that what, what hurts. What show did he say he was in? Uh, he, he's in the movie Yesterday, and he's in a TV show, co- TV show called Avenue 5. I'm going to have to check this out for sure. Avenue 5? Yeah. Oh! I had been... So with Hugh, Hugh Laurie. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a good choice. Cool. So then, who am I missing from that original ret- retinue? Duncan, Gurney, Dr. Yue, there was one more. I got uh, Liette Kynes. Dr. Kynes. He was the doctor for the other side, right? He's a planetologist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one one they meet at the beginning. Once they get to Arrakis. Yes, he plays the important role of bridging the gap and introducing them to, like, the Fremen. Yes, good. I've been trying to think of the word Fremen this entire podcast, and I haven't been able to do it. Thank you for finally saying it. Fremen. Awesome. Uh, yes, absolutely. Dr. Hines is and, so important. Oh, Tell me who you had for also, Dr. Hines. He's also Cheney's dad. I forgot about that. He totally is. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's super important. And you never know what side he's playing because he's the emperor's planetologist. He right. is a Fremen, and he's also the liaison for the Atreides to come to Arrakis. Liaison? Liaison. Yeah, sorry. Totally <laughs> butchered that. That's all right. I've been butchering things all episode. I This is a lot of words that are unknown to us. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right. He's super important. I'd completely forgotten about him. Tell me, who did you have? I had Hugh Laurie because he's super um, <laughs> sarcastic. And like, also, you never know who he likes in the book. He's like all over the place and he's kind of mean. But yeah. But he ends up being an asset to everybody. Yes. You you cannot... So I like I like Hugh Laurie. Yes, I agree. I think Hugh Laurie is actually an excellent choice for Dr. Hines. I think that's wonderful. And it's also funny that we done that did that just after uh, talking about Avenue 5. We just said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the only other that's two funny. like actor roles I have are uh, the, the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen and Fade Rautha. Um, Those are two important so- ones. I have a couple more than you, but... We should yeah, definitely so let's, let's do those two, and then we'll and then we'll hit all the other ones you've got. Okay, let's talk about okay, the bear. Great, I think you should go first because I'm not confident in my answer. Okay, so for the Baron, like the whole the, the Baron's defining character traits are that he's evil and that he's fat. So I wanted someone who kind of like I wanted to pick someone who isn't like thin, and then like you can costume CGI it up and make him like overwhelmingly large, and we want someone who. I also kind of wanted that 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 dry sense of humor, but also someone who could mm-hmm. who can play an absolute monster. 
but who is himself just, I'm supposed to be one of the sweetest people in the world. So I went with Brendan Gleeson. All right. Of In Bruges, Paddington 2. He's freaking Mad-Eye Mooney. Father to Domhnall Gleeson. I like it. Who did you have? I had Jared Harris. I don't know who that is. He is in Chernobyl, Mad Men, uh, The Expanse. He's he's been in Resident Evil. You want to know what's crazy? He's really good at acting. He's the main lead in Chernobyl. I... Now that you the, now that I'm looking at him, I legitimately considered him for this role as well. I would be perfectly oh, no happy way. going with Jared Harris if that's someone that you that you feel confident with. Honestly, I feel like we equaled out on it. I mean, the guy you picked it totally. Like yeah, it's almost I, they're the both, same type of person. They're, they're both beloved British actors. One just yeah. has a little bit more yours probably has a little bit more experience playing a villain. Mm-hmm. Mine is already slightly heavier set. But like beyond that, I don't know. I mean, I think they're both good choices. I'm perfectly happy to go I mean, with, that, I, I with Brendan Harris. Let's go with Jared Harris. Jared Harris, yeah. Okay, yeah. let's do it. I, I feel like his acting in Chernobyl was just so phenomenal. He just steals the camera whenever it's in front of him. Well, it's going to be the exact so. same style of acting here. No questions. That's <laughs> it. That's exactly what's going to be happening. Awesome. Uh, so then you, that means you're going first for Fade Rautha. All right. I picked Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen? Yeah. Okay, again, the issue, I need to know someone. I need a- more actors that are younger. And he's he's younger, and I saw him in The Path. So uh, The Path is with um, uh, who played Jesse Pinkman in Breaking Bad. I don't remember, uh, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, so he's the lead in this. It's a. It's basically a, a series about a cult, and yes. it's Aaron the Paul. The name you're looking for is Aaron Paul. Yeah, Aaron Paul. So he's the lead in it, and this kid is like in a ton of episodes, and he's also an acrobat. So, wow. <laughs> I don't know why. I thought it would be interesting to in the fight if he could do acrobatics. I don't know. I mean, that's a I, good I, I choice. It was a Some, good kid actor, and it was acrobatics. Yeah. And someone with movement experience is a is a great choice. I went with someone who also has uh, a, a slightly different movement experience. He has kind of like fighting experience because he basically plays a bully in uh, Riverdale, which is why I kind of thought he'd be funny. Um, okay, and he's also an American Horror Story, so he. Like yours, he kind of looks like someone who could play a villain. And since we're going with like a big cartoony comic book villain, I feel like that kind of works. My Fade Rautha is a, a kid named Charles Melton. And and you picked him. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, he's in uh, the Sabrina. But, right? Yeah. No, I love him. He's I would great. potentially go with him just because I don't want to cast another white person. I feel you. I'm going to say I love it. Great, great cool. decision for sure. Great. Then tell me about some of the other roles you've got. He's a little more diverse too, because he plays good and yeah, he does good and bad. Doesn't he play play that in his in most of his roles? Like he swaps good and bad. Uh, Maybe I I don't actually. I haven't actually seen him in anything. I'm just like I can't always cast from things I've seen, unfortunately. But I feel like for someone like him, because he's supposed to be playing an almost chosen one, I feel like it's important that he could go back and forth. But of course, evil. Evil, evil, gonna evil. Awesome. Okay. So, what other what other roles did you cast? I casted. Let's see, Thufir Howard. Oh, Thufir uh, Howard. That's the name that I was trying to think of earlier. Yeah, he's supposed to be. He's the, the Duke's right hand man. 
that has mm-hmm. been there for like four generations as the lead of their defense. And he's a mentat. So yeah, I thought that was pretty important in the book. Mm-hmm. He is not so much in the movie, which is so sad. Like in, in the, the book, in the book, he's a, he's role, a, he's a first person perspective character for some of the chapters, right? Because like, doesn't he like eventually get turned and works for the Harkonnens because it's the yes, only way because forward? he thinks lady Jessica is the villain. Right. Like he gets brainwashed into thinking that lady Jessica is the one that turned on the Duke. Like he thinks Correct. all of this is her fault, right? Yes. So he plays an, a huge arc in it and he lasts a lot longer than he just didn't do anything in the movie. He like, they, they captured him and he was, he was just a, I don't know, a plaything for the Harkonnens. I, I don't know what his role was in the movie. Yeah, you're right. In the but books, I he's, think he's a much super important. Character. I agree. And Tell I me who want, you had. And I wanted him because he's four generations. He had to be a little bit older, which you never think this guy is older than like 40, but he is. It's Jaiman Hansu. I just love him so much. <laughs> he's just a, so badass. And I mean, you can't go wrong with him. I've recast Jaiman Hansu in a few things as well before. Jaiman Hansu is great. For people who don't know who he is, can you give us a couple of the roles that Jaiman Hansu has played? Uh, well, wasn't he the gatekeeper in Thor? Yes. Um, uh, wait, gatekeeper uh, in Star Thor? Star Trek. He was in Star Trek. I don't think he was the gatekeeper in Thor. Because he's in the Marvel Universe, but I don't think he's the gatekeeper. He's in Guardians of the Galaxy, and he's in um, Captain Marvel, but I don't think he's in Thor. He's in Shazam. Yeah, he's in Shazam as the the key wizard. Uh, as the wizard Shazam, yeah. I swear I thought he was in Thor. Maybe he might be. I, I don't be think so. No, 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 no. The gatekeeper, like, that. Uh, that's Idris Elba. Oh, my God. I can't believe I mixed them up. I, I was trying to think of, like, Gatekeeper and Thor. Yeah, oh, I don't know he, who that is. He and uh, Gladiator. Gladiator. I can't believe I couldn't think of that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gladiator was the first time I saw him in it, and I thought he was great. Yeah, I mean, he's a phenomenal actor, and, like, that's why I pull, from, like, pull him in a bunch of times. Like, I think he's great. I think he'd be, I think he'd be an excellent Thufir Howitt. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we're, we keep on going back to Black Panther. <laughs> also, plays- yes. Is he uh, in, in Black the Panther? It's the voice of Chala. Yeah, I was gonna say he he might be an animated voice, but he's not in the movie. Oh, he's not in the movie, yes. Because he's already in the Marvel universe as in Guardians of the Galaxy and in Captain Marvel. Yeah. You're right. You're totally right. <laughs> Alright, what other what other characters do I have? I have Piter and the Emperor. The Emperor seems to be like everyone's biggest hang up because they think that's the most important character. Like, for instance, you know, so Jodorowsky wanted Salvador Dali. And then, um, yeah, I don't think he really matters, but I, I casted Ian McKellen. That's fine. As the Emperor? Yeah. And then Piter, I did Zachary Quinto. Yep, that's good, He's too. He's a mentat. He's a mentat for the Harkonnens. Yep, Zachary Quinto's a good but choice that, for that. I mean, I think, I think it might be too obvious because of his role in Heroes, but... Who knows? We could surprise people. I mean, Piter's not coming in here to subvert any expectations. Like, there's no surprises around Piter. He's in here to do the job and get out. So I think that's yeah. a great choice. Also, the whole thing, like, I keep equivalating um, Vulcans and Mentats as the same. So yeah, I just that's fine. get that out of my head. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, Mentats right, is supposed to be master strategist, but whatever. Good. 
Um, not quite. Uh, that's my list, have, and I came up with a costume designer. Uh, did you have writer director? Obviously, we. I do, but I feel like you, that's your field more than mine. Then, uh, <laughs> l- then, then let's talk about your field for a second. I don't have anyone for costumes. Tell me who you want designing these costumes. Okay, in a world where we can have anybody, I would pick Alexander McQueen, but he is dead, so that won't work. That is correct. But my favorite film, my favorite science fiction film of all times is Fifth Element. And they they use a fashion designer in that movie. And that's why I think it's so successful because you can't tell what decade it is in based on the costumes. It's, it's so fashion forward that it feels otherworldly, that you can't actually place it in our current time. So I feel like a fashion designer would only be capable of of really embracing a non-existent world because if you start coming up with like costume designers they they usually pull from the past or the modern presence of style and they try to kind of warp what they know to fit into the movie and with science fiction i just feel like you should pull from just creativity and that's it just with no holds bar. I love and it. I think Alexander McQueen was a crazy, awesome, fantastical designer. And that would have been fascinating to see. It would have been. On another route, have... let's pick someone currently alive that I think is the best designer I've ever worked with. And that's Michael Kaplan. He is amazing. He's done all the current Star Wars. He takes aspects of the world that's created, like by the set production and and all the elements, and he tries to incorporate everything into his design to really to really make it believable. So he did also Blade Runner, the old one, and okay. he took 1940s aspects and tried to mingle it in with the world that Blade Runner created. So I feel like he's just so clever in all the design elements that he does. I think he's brilliant and I would love to I would love to pick him as the designer. Great. Love it. Sounds good to me. Done. Uh, all right, let's, let's move talk on. A, yeah, we've got writer and we've got director. So right. what would you like uh, to start with? How about you do Normally we start with writer. Okay. So uh, let me tell you what about you my pick? writer. Uh, this is a writer who has worked on Blade Runner, but the new one um he did he's uh one of the screenwriters for blade runner 2049 he also wrote logan he worked on american gods and he worked on heroes he is a writer named michael green and i, I feel mean i like, love every one of those movies i love yeah, it. And I, I feel like when you've worked in science fiction as long as he has you have to be a fan of dune or be like deeply familiar with it and, and so that's why i feel like he would probably be a really good person who would pay tribute to Dune while also being able to do a more modern interpretation of it. I love it. And also because Logan is about figuring out who you are and screaming loudly in the desert. So that kind of works for us. Oh, for sure. That movie was just (laughs) so such a pleasure to watch. It's very good. Out of all the X-Men movies, that one was great. Who do you have for the writer? I have Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. And you know why? Because me and you, me and you just watched Pain and Gain. And yeah, we did. They took they took a true story that's already written, basically, because it's real life, and they made it funny. How do you make a murder funny? Like, that is so disturbing. It's a true life crime story, and they made it funny. I love it. 
Okay, I mean, and we also did all the Avengers movies. So yeah, I mean, Mark, Marcus and McFeely are very well known. Like they are the they are the Marvel writers. Like yeah. they did Endgame, they did Infinity War. Like Marcus and McFeely write them, and then the Russo brothers direct them, and it works because they're a really good pair, and it's always amazing. Um, I think tonally they don't work for Dune, but they're an excellent pull. <laughs> I agree. I think I think Dune. As much as I want that much humor in it, I think we need to go back to more badass. And Logan, yeah. definitely I, I feel has like that. I feel like we need to have some humor because otherwise it's just so dry. But I don't think they should be quipping. Like I don't think yeah. Dune is something for quipping. Yeah, I agree. But that's me. I totally agree. Your writer huh. is bomb diggity. Oh no! You know what? He did not. Uh, Michael Green did not write Blade Runner twenty. 49 did he i don't remember uh yes he did sorry 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 uh who did you have for the director i had patty jenkins because i Ooh, wanted an interesting to be female choice. female dominated yeah if we haven't gone back to it but i feel like for your main three patty jenkins is the correct choice that's tough so tough. what i'd originally done is i'd looked up the director for blade runner 2049 and i was like who's what the what else has he done and dennis villanueva is the guy who's going to be directing the new correct so I'm like, well, I can't go with that. So I you wanted can. someone. I can, but I'm not going to. I want. I went with someone who directed the new Godzilla movie and also directed Rogue One. So like, he can handle giant monster reptile things that that are monsters in a desert in the ocean, <laughs> like sandworms. Uh, yeah, yeah, similar. <laughs> and then also, it can like handle kind of like a close knit drama where it's like well we just got to go kind of overthrow this thing and it's going to be a losing mission but we got to try and that's a director named gareth edwards um awesome but but i'm not necessarily opposed with going with patty jenkins just in general okay i mean i don't think we picked a bad either of them are bad picks no i don't no i don't i agree um i think we should go with patty jenkins i think i think this is a good option for her and I think that it's important for a movie like this, which is even even if it is Daphne Keene as the lead, I think this is still going to end up being a very male-dominated movie. And I think avoiding male gaze in that world, I think, is important. So I think going with Patty Jenkins is probably the right call. And she's able to tell these really compelling war stories and... That's what we need here. So I think Patty Jenkins is the right choice. All right. I think I think we've come up with amazing, amazing cast. I think yeah. this is going to be awesome. I agree. I can't decide who I want to go in, in terms of those big three. So I'm going to take us through our cast list, both versions yep. of it. So we are making Dune, the movie. For Paul Muadib, we have Jason Ganau. Or Daphne Keene. For Stilgar, we have Winston Duke or uh, Dene Guerrera. For Cheney, we have Lana Condor or Amir Wilson. Either of those sets work. We're happy with both. If you're listening right now, why don't you reply and tell us of those sets of three, which are you Team Sam or Team Caitlin? Let us know of those, which one you think would, uh, would be a better set of three for this movie. But moving on, for Lady Jessica, we have Amy Smart. For Duke Leto Atreides, we have Pedro Pascal, because clearly best choice. For Duncan Idaho, we have Donnie Yen. 
For Gurney Halleck, we have Carl Urban. For Thufir Howitt, we have Jamon Hansu. For Dr. Yue, we have Himesh Patel. For Dr. Hines, we have Hugh Laurie. For the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, we have Jared Harris. For Fade Rautha, we have Charles Melton. For Dr. Uh, no, I said that. For uh, Piter, we have Zachary Kinto. Uh, for the Emperor, we have Ian McKellen. All of this, all of these people will be wearing Michael Kaplan because he shall be our costume designer. It will be <laughs> written by Michael Green and then directed by Patty Jenkins. I love that it. That is Dune. Caitlin, you going to go watch this movie? Yes. Yeah. I'll be the first in theater. Woo. All right. And I'll, so, I'll help Mr. Kaplan make those outfits. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a necessity at this point. Uh, y- so we didn't talk about this really at the beginning. So we will do this now. Caitlin, for everyone who just listened to you talk for uh, an hour and a half on uh, Dune, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Tell us about uh, Caitlin Rogers. Well, I'm friends with Sam Gash. Good. It's in- That's important. Yeah. He's my buddy. Uh, we like to watch movies together. And in my... Other times, I like to go to work, and when I go to work, I make specialty costumes, which usually are in the realm of sci-fi, also Marvel characters, and uh, yeah, that's my day job. That's an amazing day job. Uh, Do you have any of your own projects or anything that you would like to plug? If anyone wants to buy a wedding dress, how do they contact you? (laughs) Well, in my other free time, which is limited... Uh, my passion is to do vintage redesign gowns or vintage from scratch gowns, mostly wedding gowns. And that was my job title prior to coming to Los Angeles. And uh, they can check me out on Instagram at Silver Screen Bridal. Thanks, Love Sam. It. And how do they check you out? Gosh. Well, if they want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H. Or if they want to follow the podcast, it is at Ideal Remake on either Twitter or Instagram, but mostly Instagram. Or you can join us on Facebook and like Ideal Remake or Ideal Remake Podcast. And we'll always let you know uh, when the next episode is going to drop. Um, but even if you're not into following, even if you're not into social media, you are listening to this podcast right now, which means that you got it on a podcasting app or on YouTube which means that if you have a moment to please go and leave us a five-star review and leave us a review, that would be wonderful and generous and super kind. And it really does help people find the show. So that would be phenomenal. Thank you. So Caitlin, I will end with this. What is your favorite quote from either the book or the movie Dune? Well, I have a coffee mug that says it. The spice must flow. We haven't said that all episode. The spice must flow. It must flow. He's got. Are, does Dune have any puns? Uh, I mean, there's a lot to work with. If we want to invent puns for Dune, but there's no puns in the book, really. There's True. some fun songs. <laughs> so which, I, I don't have a pun for you, but I do have a rhyme for you. Let's hear this it. episode's going to be going up uh, two weeks from tomorrow, actually, which means that we're going to be doing Dune in June. Oh, I love it. I love uh, it. I feel like we should be saying dry jokes, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that took me way longer to get than it should have. God damn it, Caitlin. <laughs> well, Sam, this has been a blast. Thank you for having me.